Christ is risen. Is this Lent? A text for you from Philippians. Stand firm in one spirit, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened by your opponents in anything. Year was 1653. Oliver Cromwell had forced his own austere version of Christianity upon England's citizenry. During this time of civil and theological unrest, churches fell into disuse. Ministers were removed from office, forbidden to practice their faith. In all of England during that time, only three churches were built. Sir Robert Shirley paid for one of them, Staunton Herald Church. The construction of the church did not please Cromwell, who sent a message to the baronet. That message read this way, sir. If you have enough money to put up a church, then you have enough money to sponsor a regiment in the military or to build a ship of war. Sir Robert Shirley thought there was some considerable difference between a ship of war and putting up a church. He refused. For his refusal, he was sent to the Tower of London. There his enemies poisoned him. He died at the age of 23. He would have been a forgotten footnote in the pages of history if it were not for the people of his parish. Moved by the courageous stand he had taken, they had a stone carved. That stone is placed above the main entrance of the church that he built. This is what it says. In the year 1653, when all things sacred were throughout the nation being demolished or profaned, Sir Robert Shirley, baronet, founded this church. It is his singular praise to have done the best of things in the worst of times. To do the best of things in the worst of times. Anybody who takes a serious look at scripture is going to know that the Lord is honored when his people do the best of things in the worst of times. The 11th chapter of Hebrews is chock full of people who did that, but that hardly completes the story. It does not include the ending of the apostles' lives or the ascetics of Skeet. It does not include the martyrs, the reformers, who also tried to do the best of things in the worst of times. It does not list the German farmers of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, who in the midst of a depression put up many of the churches from which you come. This they did in the worst of times. They put up churches that we in the best of times have a difficulty even maintaining. The children of those farmers went off to fight in World War II. They came back to live lives that were better, richer, more secure than any had been ever lived by any person in any country. It was then something happened. That something is described in the second chapter of Proverbs. It says this, And there arose another generation who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers. On the farm, times were good. Synthetic chemicals cleared the fields of insects and weeds, and we had warnings of bad weather. It was almost as if the curse of Genesis had somehow been tempered by our strength. In the city where God had never seemed so close, or his handiwork is direct, the Lord was written out of life's equation altogether. 
The laboratory became the new deity to which people turned. Technology was the source from which every blessing was supposed to flow. A new generation arose which did not know the Lord. How could they know him? In these good times, science which couldn't measure God just decided to get rid of him. Holy Scriptures, which had been the divine's gracious guide for earlier generations, had got banished from classroom and from college. For most Joes and Janes, the Ten Commandments were entirely too confining to us. So-called Christian scholars voted on the validity of Jesus' words, denominations, decreed doctrines were debatable, and basic beliefs were deniable. All gods, if there was a god, were thought to be the same. All religions the same, all faiths the same, and the road to heaven was increasingly widened. In some Christian denominations, various leaders argued for practicality and political correctness. They asked, might not people be offended by our sharing of the cross? And so progressive preachers gave God an extreme makeover, left him leaving little resemblance to the deity of Scripture. No longer had Jesus Christ come down to rescue us from the fires of hell. Somehow, 19 centuries of believers had gotten that wrong. A loving God, after all, would never send anyone to hell. No longer was it God's great goal to get us into heaven. All God really wanted to do, truth be known, was to make us happy. And knowing that God just wanted us happy, we removed those offensive crosses from steeple and belfry. Novelty, will that replace theology? Convenience, cast aside commitment. Acceptance of sin, well, that took the replace of repentance of sin. And Christ's cross played second fiddle to political correctness. The Savior's story of salvation was shoved into the background, and pulpits preached sermons on how to get God to do what we wanted him to do. These were the best of times. Uh, for anyone who wished to forget God's grace and the cross of Christ. With all things being demolished and profaned, the day of darkness that Jesus had said would come, had come. Wickedness increased, the love of many grew cold. These were the days of darkness when hopes were dashed, dreams died, discouragement, depression, despair, all held sway in the Christian world. These were the days of darkness when dictators and despots decreed that Jesus' name should be denounced. And to the faithful few who still valued Scripture, who still believed in Jesus' name as being the only name that could save people from hell, the question was asked, what is to be our confession? When things sacred are being demolished and profaned, will we allow ourselves to be allied with compromise and concession, or will we be re-allied with the Holy Spirit? Shall we confine our confession only to those places which are safe and secure, or shall we enter the battle where the outcome is most contested? Will we do as others are doing? Will we expend our energy in endless debates and discussions of matters trivial and topics inconsequential? 
Will we try to convince ourselves that these arguments are a suitable and God-pleasing substitute for telling the lost that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world? Jesus Christ is the gospel. There is no other. What shall we do? This day, hundreds of millions of souls are marching into hell. How many of them will hear of the Christ's sacrifice? his death, his rising to life upon the third day, if the Lord's words of warning are whispered. If they are whispered. We are believers because the Holy Spirit used someone to tell us of God's grace. And now it is our time, our turn, our opportunity to proclaim, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Today, the Holy Spirit urges us to enter into fields of battle which, quite frankly, many have already deserted. He urges us to get involved in a conflict which others ignored, to engage in a struggle which most would leave unfought. It is, my dear friends, a bloody battle. A battle that will take every penny you have, every ounce of strength you possess. And then when you are beaten and you are bloodied and you are absolutely exhausted. When you in truth have nothing more left to give. The Holy Spirit will urge you to get up and begin again and again and again. In the struggle which lies before you, I cannot offer you the promise of unending accomplishment and ongoing cheers and applause by the masses. On the contrary, the victories in your time may be few, and scorn rather than applause may be your earthly thanks. If that is to be your fate and future, may it be said of us that where the darkness was the deepest, that was where we chose to make our stand. Where the battle was being fought the hardest, that is where we chose to fight. By God's grace and the Holy Spirit's power, may you be faithful so that when you enter your heavenly mansion, above the door will be inscribed by God in a time when all things sacred were being demolished and profaned. His singular praise is this. He tried to share the Savior in the worst of times. God grant my friends, that be so. Amen. Seven and a half minutes. Amen. We rise for prayer.